0: you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com/slash host.
2: Here we go with another bonus podcast, folks, and this time it's from our show the weekend before Celtic v. Savgo. When we spoke to Scott McDonald, Kieran Kenny, we got a history lesson from David Potter and a couple of friends came along to join us and share their favourite Celtic-Sefco or Celtic Rangers moments. Hello folks, you're all very welcome back to Celtic AM. Our second episode of our virtual, which we would love if it was a live show in Glasgow pre-match before heading to Oibrox. But unfortunately, it's not, and we're still stuck in lockdown. But on a positive, we can now move more than 5K. I got around the county this week. It was great from Carlingford into Omeet, down into Greenall. So if anyone knows the wee county of loud and you get a chance and the weather's nice, come and visit us. You won't be disappointed a lovely little county. Anyway, as I said, you're all very welcome. It's been a great weekend for us. We kicked off on Thursday night with a new show, which we were originally going to call the Celtic Daz, but because it's a crap name, we decided to call it um, Talk from the Terrace. I was joined by my great friend from Not the View, Average Joe Miller, and we just had a laugh. It was unscripted, we just had a bit of crack. And we we spoke about everything because we haven't spoken a word. And it was kind of brought me back to our post and pre-match chats. We often have in the curls uh, when Joe refuses to buy the first round and always leaves me to buy the first and the last. But look, I leave that for Joe to defend himself again. We also had uh, one of my musical, I wouldn't say heroes, but certainly he had a big influence on me as a teenager with Paul Heaton of House Martin Beautiful South and Paul and Jackie Fame on the podcast and it was an absolute buzz for me you can still see me I'm still there still laughing Um, it was just wonderful to spend a couple of hours chatting to him about life politics music football so if you haven't checked out the podcast please do so because it's wonderful if I do say so myself Um, The second part's coming up next Friday. On the show today then, we have Scott MacDonald, who not only played in Noibrox, scored in Noibrox, but he also attended a game as a fan and stood on the terraces. So it's going to be great to get his insight into the game. Another regular visitor to Glasgow, and indeed... On a number of occasions, to Oibox is Kieran Kenny from the Nave Park Celtic Supporters Club. Kieran's a social worker in Dublin and a modern day brother, Walford, a real, really good community person. So it's great to have Kieran uh, on the show. Both Kieran and Scott have been on the podcast in previous issues. So if you go into our library, you can, ha- you can have a listen to them if you want to catch up on what they have had to say in the past. Now, while I'm here, Um, we need to get a few funds in for the fans in to keep it going the print edition we have about 25 copies left of issue 114 cost of five including postage and we'd appreciate if you'd buy a copy because with no match day sales um, it's kind of hard to keep the print edition going but we've sold out the last couple of issues and it'd be great to sell this one now Um, and you can also download the digital issue which um it proves it up, but I think if you're an old timer like me, it's you love the print issue. And indeed, the print issue of another fanzine, the alternative view, popped in my letterbox this week and I like to support Matt and indeed Joe at Not the View because it's great to have so many fanzines going and I can't forget the Shamrock as well. So if you it, when you finish buying more than 90 minutes, don't forget there's other fanzines out there and they need your support too because none of us have matched their sales. And we're so lucky to have such a vibrant, independent fanzine scene. Still going with, I suppose, the death of print. So that's so hats off to everybody involved in the Celtic fanzines. You can also support us by buying a t-shirt and I am modelling our three-stripe Glasgow one. So that's all on Celtic fanzine dot com forward slash shop now the Patreon has popped up people are saying why don't we go Patreon and put some of our content behind a paywall well the reason we haven't done it is and we're told you know oh, you'll get this and you'll get that the reason we haven't done it is because not everyone can afford to the price of a pint or the price for coffee some people may be listening to this podcast from a phone homeless so we want to maybe give something back to people. We've hopefully gone forward. We can continue to work with charities and donate a couple of quid. But we definitely won't be going behind a paywall. But if you can afford to support us, you can support us by donating for the price of a pint or a cup of coffee. And if you're a selling mind business and you have a couple of quid with some really I suppose cheap sponsorship deals, if you want to sponsor an episode or come on board on the website or in the fanzine. And I thank everybody who has sponsored us so far or donated because it's gone a long way towards rental costs, production costs, and distribution costs of all the stuff we do. So I can't thank you enough. And I'm sitting here in my own recording this, so... It's it's kind of strange talking to yourself. But anyway, I think we've done a half-decent job with the first episode of Saturday AM. And I think we've mastered the podcast now. I think Roland has done a fantastic job. I think our listeners will agree uh, because some of the recordings haven't been great and he's worked wonders with the software that he has. So thank you, Roland. And to Daniel, who is editing the video content now, I thank you very much. And to all our contributors to the fanzines. Thank you for many, many years of excellent articles. And as I said, I'm working on editing 114, oh, sorry, 115 this week. And the content is quality as always. We're very, very lucky to have a broad array of writers from different backgrounds with different views, young, old, male, female. So thank you very much. Anyway, Ibrox great when you win, terrible when you lose. Sefco killed it, killed the game as a spectacle when they took away the away allocation. And that goes both ways. It took something away from Salty Park as well when we had to cut their allocation because of what they'd done on us. So, um, I could go on and on about my experience at Ibrox, but it would be great to get the history of the game from someone who knows a lot more than me about Celtic versus Rangers and Celtic versus the New co. So without further ado, I'd like to introduce to you, to Celtic historian and author and General Noel, David Potter.
3: Hello. Well, it gives me a great deal of pleasure to talk about the uh, uh, rivalry between Celtic and Rangers, which of course has existed uh, since both clubs came into, into being. But the funny thing was that up till about the First World War, it is difficult to detect any great sectarianism between the two sets of supporters. Uh, that sometimes surprises me a, a, a little bit. And certainly there was no great animosity between the two uh, managers because Willie Mealy was a great friend of William Wilton, Rangers manager, who actually died in a, a, a boating accident in the Clyde in May 1920. Uh, Mealy wasn't so fond of Struths. Uh, who took over from uh, uh, Wilton uh, uh, after 1920, but was a great friend of William Wilton. But to a a very great extent, you find that although there is a rivalry between Celtic and Rangers simply because they are uh, big teams, the real uh, people that Celtic supporters hated in the 1890s and early 1900s were, of course, Queen's Park. Who symbolised uh, Glasgow middle class prejudice against uh, against working class people, and particular against uh, professional footballers. So if anything, it was Celtic and Rangers together, as supporters, against uh, Queen's Park, and there is a particular myth that really needs to be exploded, and it has occurred in several books, and uh, I really get annoyed when I read this, about the 1909 Hamden Riot. I've heard the word sectarian and religion used in the context of the 1909 uh, Scottish Cup final riot. No. In fact, what that was, what it started off being, was a protest against there not being extra time. It was commonly believed that Celtic and Rangers would draw games first time in cup dies. They certainly did that several times in Glasgow cup dies to get another big gate. And that, of course, was why they were called the Old firm. That was why they were called the uh, the old firm. The firm being, as it were, uh, a firm, a company in business, and they were old firm, and that's how they uh, worked together to, to gain their money. And uh, the nineteen hundred nine Scottish Cup final started off by being a protest against them being denied extra time after the second Cup final of 1909 and were asking them to come up for a third one. And of course things just got out of hand. Um, I think had it been left um, they, they could have been calmed down, It had been better policing that day, but um, they really got out of hand. And of course, young people being young people and a wee bit of drinking and perhaps uh, things got really stupid. But I would have to stress there was no sectarianism in that one at all. There was very definitely in the other one, the other Hamden riot of 1980, but that was a totally different matter altogether. But up to the, First World War, the end of the First World War, there was no great sectarianism element between Rangers and Celtic, although there was certainly rivalry, simply because they were two big teams. And it was natural, perhaps, that the Protestant working class of Glasgow would slowly um, go towards the, um, the team that was going to challenge the the Roman Catholic side. And this, of course, was Rangers, which they did uh, at the turn of the century. Rangers won the Scottish League for uh, four years in a row. But then, of course, Celtic had the great team of the Edwardian era. And up to the First World War, there was no doubt about it, that the best team in Scotland were very definitely Celtic. Things changed a little bit after the Great War. Uh, Rangers came on to a very, very good team indeed under Struth. Uh, a team which uh, really uh, won quite a lot of leagues deservedly. Uh, And uh, Celtic were hamstrung a little bit, I always think, in the 1920s by having emotionally unstable players. Now, we've had a few emotionally unstable players uh, in the past. In the 1990s, one thinks of the, the Tres Amigos, as they were called. And there were quite a lot of players like that in the 1920s who found it very difficult to cope with the dictatorship of Willie Mealy. Willie Mealy had been a very successful dictator, oblique manager in the Edwardian time in the years immediately before the First World War. But there were people like, for example, <coughs> particularly Tommy McAnally, who found it very difficult, who was a great player, who found it very difficult to cope with Mealy. Not that Celtic didn't have their great moments against uh, Rangers. Uh, My particular favourite of that time was the semi-final of 1925 in which Celtic beat Rangers 5-0. And if you don't mind, I would like to sing part of the song that they sung to commemorate this one. And you might be surprised when you hear the tune, because you might think that it is a Rangers tune. In fact, it's not because we had it first, and it went after the 5 nil victory. We went, hello, hello, we are the Malloys. Hello, hello, you'll know us by the noise. We beat the Rangers in the cup, was great to be alive. Not one, not two, not three, not four, but five. And uh, that was the song that they sang until well in the 1950s and 1960s to commemorate that particular victory. The only thing was, um, I said, we beat the Rangers in the Cup was great to be alive. They tended to use a slightly different word, but uh, we won't go into that. But that was a, that was a, a great moment when in uh, 1925, Jimmy McGrory scored two, Adam McLean scored two, and I think it was Alec Thompson who scored the other one. It was a, a great game and was all mastermind by Patsy Gallagher. Now, Patsy Gallagher, of course, being himself uh, uh, Irish, um, he was able to play a wee bit, I think, on the superstitions of the two Rangers Ulster fullbacks, uh, because they apparently they were prone to believe this nonsense that Rangers weren't uh, meant to win the uh, Scottish Cup. As we know, they went 25 years without winning uh, the Scottish Cup from 1903 to 1928, and it was widely believed it was because there was a curse on them after the Ibrox disaster of 1902. Unfortunately, the facts don't quite fit that one because they did win the Scottish Cup in 1903, but loads of people were convinced there was a curse over Rangers, and that's why they could win the Scottish League and the Glasgow Cup and the Glasgow Charity Cup, but they, wouldn't, they couldn't win the Scottish Cup. Eventually, they did so in 1928, beating us 4 uh, 0 in a very, very comprehensive victory for Rangers after Michael John had sunk his uh, uh, famous penalty. And then, of course, we come to 1931 and John Thompson. Now, it would almost have to happen in a way, almost as if it was meant that if there were a place where a Celtic player was going to be killed, it would almost, you would feel, have to be Ibrox and have to be against Rangers. It was, of course, a total accident. And not only did this accident uh, uh, kill uh, John Thompson, very sadly, uh, it also to a very large extent, ruined the Scottish career of Sam English. He later went on and played for English clubs and did did quite well. But Sam was never the same person again. It was a total accident. Uh, his knee went into Thompson's skull, which apparently was uh, thinner than what normal people's skulls were. And Thompson died of a depressed fracture. What was very interesting about that was the way that the players and uh, the supporters all came together. Uh, the funeral was held on uh, Wednesday afterwards at Carden Den uh, in Fife. And the day before that, there had been uh, a, a celebration at the United Church in, in Glasgow, uh, the United Presbyterian Church in Glasgow. And it was attended by both Celtic and Rangers players and Celtic and Rangers supporters. So much so that Peter Wilson who was meant to be reading a lesson at the service, couldn't get in. There were so many people there, he just couldn't force his way in. Davy Meiklejohn of Rangers was there, however, and he read the lesson at that uh, church. And that brought the the Celtic and Rangers supporters together. It didn't last long, but it showed, as happened indeed in Ibrox disaster of 1971, that uh, sometimes uh, the people who support another team aren't necessarily your sworn enemies. We are just people of a, perhaps a different heritage, a different tradition, a different persuasion, and who support someone else. But it would have to be said that uh, for a long time, for a long time after uh, 1931, after 1925, really, uh, Rangers uh, really uh, had the, the beatings of Celtic more often than not. Uh, they did beat Celtic eight one in nineteen forty three, first of January nineteen forty three. That's not really counted because, of course, it was the middle of the of the Second World World War when Celtic had a had a very very poor team, and uh, Rangers had been able to keep their men in reserved occupations, with one or two exceptions, rather like Millet had been able to do for Celtic in the First World War. He uh, was able to keep most of his players within um, the distance of, of Glasgow, where they could, they, they, they could play. But, but Rangers were, were a good side in 1940s, you know, even after the war, uh, and so on, and uh, well into the 1950s, until, of course, we come to the League Cup final of 1957 when Celtic beat Rangers 7-1. Please forgive me if I uh, burst into song again, because uh, after this famous 7-1 victory, Celtic supporters started to to sing uh, in the style of Lonnie Donegan, Piling on the agony,
4: piling on
3: the style. That's what Glasgow Celtic have been doing all this while. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven ways to make you smile. Watching Willie Fernie. Put in on this style, and the next verse it's exactly the same, except you say Charlie Tully, or, and then you can say Bobby Collins, or you can say Sammy Wilson, or whoever you want. Uh, but that was the the famous seven-one victory for um, uh, Celtic against Rangers League Cup final, 1957, October the 19th, 1957. Sadly, I am just a wee. I was just a wee bit too young. To get to that game, I wanted to go, but my mother decided rightly. Well, I was only nine fifty-seven. I'd only been nine years old. That I was maybe just a wee bit too young to go to Glasgow to see that big game. But uh, that was a a great uh, um, win of Celtic over Rangers, and much sung about. Much sung about by uh, Celtic supporters. And frankly, for the next few years after that, there was not really very much else to sing about, because we went through a poor, poor spell as we tried to develop a youth policy. Uh, We had some good players, but frankly, uh, we weren't really like it until, of course, Big Jock arrived. In in particular, the 1963 Scottish Cup final was the one of the famous Hamden walkout when the uh, Rangers scored the third goal. Um, halfway through the second half, and the Celtic end at Hamden just evaporated. It just went home. Said nothing and just went home. And this was all the more uh, distressing because uh, on the Saturday in the first game, Celtic had at least held their own. Billy McNeil had a great game. Frank Haffey in the goal, the much reviled Frank Haffey, also had a great game. And once or twice towards the end, a wee chap called Jimmy Johnson... And left winger was a man called Frank Brogan. One or two, one, once or twice, they might just have won the day on the Saturday. But uh, on uh, Wednesday night, it was the following Wednesday. Actually, it was a, a week on Wednesday afterwards. Uh, Celtic, I'm afraid, just collapsed. But 1964, September the fifth. 1964, ironically, the anniversary of the death of John Thompson, that had nothing to do with it, Celtic in the rain beat the Rangers 3-1. And that proved to me that we could do it. And incidentally, that was the day that I heard uh, the Celtic fans singing that song about Willie Fernie, putting on the agony, putting on the style and so on. That was the first time I ever heard that one. But we beat them uh, 3-1. We then very sadly lost a League Cup final to them, in October of that year. Uh, particularly painful that one because uh, 10 days previously Harold Wilson had won the general election for the Labour Party uh, and it was now believed that things were now going to change and the same way as Labour took over from the Conservatives, so Celtic could take over from Rangers. But sadly, it didn't quite work out that way. Well, played well enough. Uh, Jimmy Johnson missed a chance. Bobby Murdoch missed a chance. A good penalty kick claim was denied. And Rangers in the second half just nicked the two goals and were lost 2-1. And that triggered... That triggered a really very sad few months in Celtic's history when we went to Ibrox on this, on the New Year's Day. Jimmy Johnson got sent off, and at, by middle of January, Celtic were going nowhere. Until Bob Kelly suddenly admitted that he'd been wrong all along. And it might be an idea to bring back as manager a man called Jock Steen. Now, one of the things that we... several things about this appointment. Uh, one was that Bertie Auld, who came back to Celtic a week or two before Steen was actually appointed, he claims that he knew that Jock Steen was to be appointed the manager of Celtic. And that was the reason why he came back from Birmingham City. Another one, of course, was the religious issue. It's widely believed, not least by Jockstein himself, that one of the reasons why Jock didn't get the job in 1961, when perhaps he should have got the job because he'd been looking after the youngsters and so on, was because of his religion. If this was so, it proves what a fool Bob Kelly was. Because, of course, uh, the Celtic supporters immediately took to Jockstein once they started winning. And for the third time, I'm going to ask your permission if I can sing a song which possibly has sectarian undertones. So if it gets edited out, I won't be too upset. But basically, in 1965 and 1966, there was an advertisement on commercial television for Beans Means Heinz. A thousand housewives every day pick up a can of beans and say beans means hines. Now the Celtic supporters adapted that one too. A thousand Catholics every day throw their rosary beads away and say stain, stain, stain because Jockstein had uh, become the manager of Celtic and his religion had absolutely nothing to do with it. And, of course, Celtic just took off. And um, the interesting thing was just how often Celtic beat Rangers. Not only did they beat them on the football field uh, fairly, obviously, and my favourite cup final probably that I myself have seen uh, may well be the 1969 four-nil Scottish Cup final, which was a real rout uh, of, of a game, but I think more importantly, Steen beat Rangers in the moral high ground, particularly as far as religion was concerned, and this came in uh, uh, this came to view in the 1976 to 1977 season. Now in 76 to seven neither Rangers nor Celtic were doing particularly well. Rangers had uh, been defeated by, I think, Aston Villa or Birmingham City, perhaps, place in the, the Midlands, after which their fans had rioted. It was one of these Saturdays where uh, the Scotland team were, uh, where the squad was there and they didn't have their full team. But anyway, their fans rioted. And Willie Waddle then made the rather bizarre statement that uh, things would be all right because we would now be willing to sign a Roman Catholic, which they'd never done up to now. They, in fact, didn't do so, at least not for, a, not, not for a long while. But in the immediate aftermath of that, Jockstein uh, then went to sign Alfie Korn. Now, Alfie Kahn had played for Rangers. He was now with uh, Tottenham Hotspur. Uh, he was getting fed up with Tottenham Hotspur. Did he want to come back to Glasgow? And, uh, of course, he did. And uh, when people questioned us, how would uh, you know, a former Rangers uh, player playing for Celtic and so on, how would this work out? Uh, Jockstein said uh, just calmly to the press, well, I consulted several of my players, notably uh, Danny McGrain and Kenny Duglish. Now, most people realise that Kenny Duglish, Danny McGrain, and Jockstein himself, they all had one thing in common. And that was where they were likely to spend or not spend their Sunday mornings. And uh, it was a, a way in which uh, Celtic, you know, once again drove a horse and cart through the bizarre and foolish um, a sectarian policy that Rangers employed from 1920 until 1989. And that, of course, was when they signed their... Uh, there was all sorts of jokes went around about how, how Rangers wouldn't play a Catholic, except they did one day play a Catholic, but he beat them 2-1. There was all sorts of jokes like that went around, um, went around Glasgow. But then in 1989, they did sign, a, I wouldn't say he was a very good Roman Catholic, but uh, he'd certainly been brought up as a, a Roman Catholic. And his name was, of course, Morris Johnston, who uh, a detestable man uh, and deserving of names like Judas and so on, as far as Celtic were concerned. But the thing about that as far as Celtic was concerned, forget all about his religion. It was the fact that Celtic were taken to the cleaners by Rangers because they had paraded Morris Johnston with his Celtic scarf as if he was going to sign for Celtic. And he had made the famous statement about, it's the only club I ever wanted to play for. And that was before the 1989 Scottish Cup final. I think it was the day before the 1989 Scottish Cup final. Uh, Johnson, of course, couldn't have played for Celtic because he hadn't signed. Uh, and uh, Celtic won that game. Joe Miller's goal. You'll, you'll possibly remember that one. Um, and uh, they paraded him with a green-white scarf, but he hadn't actually signed. Next thing we knew, that deal was dead, and he'd signed for Rangers. It was really very sad to see that happening and it was a way that the business side of Celtic in the late 80s, early 1990s was just nowhere. They hadn't a clue, basically. And I find it very difficult to forgive the men who ran the club in the early 1990s. And Anyone who was was alive then will probably uh, agree with me. But there came the revolution in March 1994 and slowly Celtic began to fight their way back it wasn't easy we won the Scottish cup in 1995 we beat rangers in the scottish cup quarter final of 1997 but it was only really when martin o'neill took over in the early years of the 21st century that celtic really became um, a, a good team again and As this happened, as this happened, things began to go badly with Rangers. There was a succession of bad managers. There were rumours about their financial position. There were uh, rumours about dodgy deals that they had given to uh, various players. Um, And all this, of course, uh, came to fruition if that's the right word for it, on Valentine's Day 2012, when uh, when Rangers went uh, into administration. You will argue, people will say, is this Rangers or should they be called uh, the Rangers or should they be called SEVCO or NUCO or whatever you want to call them? I'm afraid that I like to call them Rangers because I there seem to me to be Rangers with the blue strips and so on and the, and the union Jacks and so on, and I would be quite glad to see us beating Rangers. Um, I think the game that comes is coming soon on uh, Sunday in fact Sunday in fact in, uh, in the Scottish Cup uh, will of course be very vital to us. Sometimes I feel that Celtic versus Rangers games, are a little overstated in their importance. And that's certainly true of league games. Jockstein used to say that the points you get for beating St. Myrne and St. Johnson and Patrick Thistle and Falkirk and them are just the same as what you get for beating Rangers. And he was right. But so often, a defeat uh, by Rangers has triggered Celtic into a downward spiral, a spiral. A a great example of that, incidentally, being in 1988 when we won the league and cup double, and then we went to Ibrox in August 1988, lost five-one, and frankly never recovered for years after that. And it's one of the things you've got to be aware of. I sometimes think that Rangers games are given too much importance, and um, defeats by Rangers become infectious, as it were, in the the defeats by um, other people. That does not really apply. On Sunday Sunday is a crucial game. I'm quite prepared to admit that I will be in a terrible state on Sunday afternoon. I'll be shouting, I'll be using bad words at the television, I'll be terrifying my dog, my wife will be horrified and embarrassed and didn't think I knew half of these words and <laughs> that I'll be using, but I'm afraid the game on Sunday is really a very Very vital one indeed. It is Celtic's last chance of saving the season. I honestly do think we are good enough to beat them. I think in the last league game, we were certainly the better team. I certainly would would feel that. You could argue that about the New Year game as well. And I honestly think that if everybody takes their chances... And if uh, Ryan Christie does not blaze the ball over the bar, but takes his time and puts it low, uh, we might get an early goal. It might make all the difference. And uh, I think that our defence, with Christopher Ayer and Stephen Welsh, I've been very impressed with the last few games I've seen them. I know everybody criticises the defence, but I'd like to see them when they're tested. Uh, I think they might come through that. Uh, And I'm reasonably confident insofar as anyone could be confident uh, about uh, a game between Rangers and, and Celtic but I think we might just emerge triumphant on Sunday
2: Thank you David Hasn't he a lovely way with words and a lovely way to tell a story you know take it back to those black and white days flat caps Celtic fans oh, can you imagine the point in the pub back in those days and celebrating a a victory at Oibrox. Wonderful, wonderful memories. And we all have wonderful memories when we win. And I suppose moments of despair when we lose. But I suppose we can be proud of our unbroken histories since 1888. That we never let a club die, even in the 90s. When the fans, for Sells for Change, and before that, Save Ourselves, and Fergus McCann and David Lowe, and all the people involved in saving our club from liquidation. Unbelievable. We have such a beautiful, beautiful history. And as I said, it's unbroken. And I'm going to ask some of my friends, my match day friends, now to give us their favourite moments. So here we go.
4: John Joe with the Plowboys in Philadelphia. My favorite memory, scalping the Huns, had to be the 5-1 game with Maravchick and Larson because we hadn't done it for years and
0: years. We were going through a bad time, and it was fucking brilliant. Hi, it's Rick Roberts from the Sarney, Ontario, CSC, and an honorary member of the Plowboys in Philadelphia. Favorite Celtic Ranger moment, New Year's game, centenary year. McAveney scored two, we beat him 2-0, and even a bob for the head in Brigton after couldn't ruin my good day.
4: How you doing folks, my name's Kevin Ross
1: and I am from Crossgar in County Down, and I'm also a member of the Ballymena Shamrock Celtic Supporters Club. My most memorable Celtic Rangers game would sort of date back to
4: August 2000 under Martin O'Neill, the famous
1: 6-2 game. Absolutely glorious day, and who could forget Henry Garson's chip. Heel,
4: heel. Hi, I'm Liam Kelly. I'm a member of the Bournemouth Shamrock
1: Supporters Club, and my favourite Glasgow derby memory would have to be the 5-1 win against the new club at Celtic Park. That day always stands out for the atmosphere before the game, and then as I was sat on the segregation line, just blowing a kiss, producing a smile, and a nice friendly wave to our pals. I just didn't expect to have to do that five times that afternoon.
4: Hey, how you doing there? It has to be
3: um, Mrs Dembele's hat-trick. Um, 2016
2: against the moment Beaton beat one Total and utter carnage. And um, Joey Barton still hasn't found his way out of Bruni's arse
3: pocket. That's my favorite one. Jimmy Boy McCrory Lurgan number one
4: CSC. Good morning, everyone at the Celtic AM. Shimmy Dara here, Daisy really, Celtic Club Belfast. I didn't get dressed for the occasion. This is my work uniform. But uh, my favourite Celtic and Sevco game had to be the last ever one before they died, when we thriced them 3-0. The stadium was rocking from start to finish. Uh, The displays from the Green Brigade was amazing. Uh, My favourite part of the day was when the Celtic fans were singing to them, when will we see you again? (laughs) Obviously we'll never see them again because they died. Take care, have a good afternoon, and he'll help. Theo Kelly from the night Parger
5: Club here in Dublin. Um, favourite Celtic and Rangers moment. Um, been lucky enough to have been at a few games where I've seen Celtic win most of them. Um, uh, one that I'll mention is probably the 5-1 then Bel the game. The game as a whole was brilliant. And the trip with Miller Sandalaz was even better. But the one that'll stick out most and live long in the memory is the 3 2 game against them in Celtic Park in April 2008 when Scott MacDonald scored twice and Barry Robson scored the penalty. It was actually my first trip to Celtic Park and it was a skills trip, believe it or not. But just the whole thing, as soon as you step into Celtic Park, it just takes you takes you away. Um, and obviously the significance of that result because we obviously went on a couple of weeks later to win the league. So Hello, I'm Kerry. And I'm Lucas. And we're from Sreban. We're members of the Legend 7 Celtic Supporters Club. And
6: our favourite Celtic versus CEPCO moment is from Sunday the 29th of April 2018. When I did Nascar and what Celtic onto the pitch. Where we beat them 5-0 with goals from Edward Forrest, Roderick and McGregor. Securing our seventh league title in a row. One will
2: never forget. Heel, heel. set. My name's Average Joe Miller, not of you, fame. Uh, my favourite Celtic moment beating Rangers before they died was... every single one of them, I think. Yeah, every single one of them. Loved it. Well, it was great to hear from you, but I have to say, I can't wait till we all get back together. And I think I speak for everyone, till we all get back together in the pub, whatever pub we go to before games or after games and can chat about life, football, Celtic, winning and losing. And isn't the chat in the pub brilliant? Isn't it much better than being on social media where you're, you don't know who you're talking to or you don't know who you're answering back? And when you're sitting with your mates, you can argue. no matter if you haven't I don't know much about tactics and I don't know about uh, you know styles of play in certain places what I know is from watching football standing on the terraces you know I was a crowd footballer so for me to say they should be doing this or that but I have an opinion but I love that opinion when I'm with my mates because if you say something stupid they're just you to shut up or cop on and I love that and I miss that. I really do. it's 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 just it's it's part of the match day experience that. You know, I've I've always said Celtic is more than ninety minutes and you know it's about it's about the club, it's about your mates. I thought about mates one of my mates who I met through Celtic is Karen Kenny. And it was wonderful to have Kieran chat to me because I suppose Kieran's a bit of an anorak when it comes to Celtic. He's also um, dedicated, so dedicated to his supporters club and running that bus and getting people to and from Glasgow, you know, getting them up on the bus, maybe 4am back to Dublin by maybe midnight. Dedication. But so many friends are made on those chariots to Glasgow. The bow, anyone that's traveled on the bow knows Cracked crack that he's on the boat and coming back from a Rangers game you know I remember coming back into the slow boat and we'd won and it was early in Martin O'Neill's time and a good friend of mine Will who doesn't go to games anymore so Will if you're if you're watching or listening you know we need your back and he went to the gift shop and bought a tin whistle a small cheap penny whistle and took it into the bar and started playing a few tunes and the whole bar and that slow boat Started a big sing song, and it was absolutely magic, absolutely magic, wonderful, wonderful memories. So, anyway, here's how we got on chatting to Kieran. Well, I'm delighted today to have Kieran Kenny with me. Kieran is the main man on the Nave Park bus these days, the, the chariot, as they like to call it. And while his bus is pulling up at Celtic Park, I'm normally kicking off Celtic AM, so I would have loved to have Kieran there for a chat, but I suppose better late than never and because of lockdown we get the opportunity.
1: Yeah, delighted to be here. Certainly it's I'm a lot less stressed, I'd imagine, than if I was to rush into the door into yourselves having having travelled eight hours or so from Dublin, your usual 40 and departures. But listen, better late than there is to say delighted on Celtic AM. Delighted to have you Kieran we
2: had you on the podcast and we had a great old chat and a great reaction um, the podcast is Thank God people are liking what we're doing. We're, <laughs> we're trying to get a good mix of guests on between fans and maybe a few people that have done well for themselves in the arts or on the football pitch for Celtic. But yeah, we're getting we're getting a bit of a I suppose a good collection of people. But anyway, look, you on that bus, it's 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 famous that you are the man for the top tens, top ten goals, top ten players, top ten. So out of your top tens, there has to be so, so many memories of games against Rangers before they died and of course, the new club, the nine-year-old club who are doing well actually to win a title, you know, in nine years. Not bad. Um, mathematically, they could have maybe better skills their fans but look, that's that's for them to worry but we know exactly what we've won and we know what we haven't won. So Kieran, if I, if I take you back to maybe Oibrox, Sally Park, Hamden, you know, what, what, What's the ones that stick out for you?
1: I I, I suppose some of the ones that stick out negatively would be the defeats in the 90s. Um, One particular one actually that sticks out, and it has very much came to the fore actually with a conversation I had with somebody earlier who asked me a question around when I was most disappointed was this season with, with the ten obviously not happening. Was it a season was this the season we're most disappointed following the Celtic? And I said, no, probably when I look back. The season we didn't stop the old Rangers doing the nine was the season 96-97 And I remember Kind of around mid-January or so, we got the offer of tickets to myself and my dad, offered tickets for the, the league game in the March, And it was the day before St. Patrick's Day. And, and ultimately, we got beaten 1-0 that day. And, and the bus was actually bricked on the way home. And those on the chariot will probably still remember it today. It was just a horrible day at Celtic Park. They would be 100 ultimately, won the 9 And I think we missed our ferry on the way home. And I remember coming in probably about 4 a.m., exhausted. Me dad said, I'm never, ever going again. Uh, my late mom, who was Celtic mad, but never watched a game of football in her life, looked at me and she says, Ah, she says... Don't be minding them poor L huns, she says. Should sure they don't have Mary in their lives, God rest. She was she was a woman of great faith and I remember just looking at it. It was a wonderfully light moment on you were fifteen, sixteen years of age, so it was everything then. And I just I'll never forget that she just looked, Don't mind them poor old huns. Should sure they don't have Mary in their lives? That would be one now from a defeat perspective that would would massively stick out. Just that sense of devastation. I think there's a lot of learning this season where, where a lot of people there's such doom and gloom and and there's a kind of a collective sense amongst a lot of people that the club is really going to struggle we're in COVID there's a lot of uncertainty around finances of the club but you know what That, that day the club and we looked gone you know there was a sense that did, did this juggernaut the Rangers have was going to go on forever? And it changed very quickly. And and I wrote a small piece in your own magazine. I do remember another thing of that day that jumped out, and, and it was at the time where we would have parked in on Eaton Street, all the buses did. And I uh, getting on the bus after the game, and there was that silence. We've all got on a bus after defeat, and you're met with this silence, which is the complete opposite to what we tend to use of uh, your image of a bus hopping and stuff, but there was graffiti outside the bus, and it just said Said the we shall rise again. And it just stuck with me. You know, I pulled away. And that sentence, I quietly just kept it in my head. And and three weeks later it was over. We were beaten by Falkirk in the Cup. <laughs> I tell you, I thought to myself, Well, the fellow who wrote that graffiti, you know, was a lot more optimistic than me. But lo and behold, twelve months later, we go and stop the ten and, and we've had a kind of a wonderful run of the last twenty years. So certainly sometimes it is true, sometimes that it is often darkest before the dawn.
2: Yeah, and we had Jackie Meeting on the podcast last week, Kieran, and you know, Jackie had seen the nine in a row and he'd been to a European final before he emigrated to Canada. And like when I used to hear all the stories, especially some of the brilliant, brilliant stories that are told on the boat. Some of the older boys are just, you know, the great storytellers, you know, the stories with the cattle boats and the cattle getting off the boat before the fans and, you know, bits and pieces. And, You'd hear them talking about Lisbon, and you'd hear them talking about the nine in a row, and you know great players like Billy McNeil and Kane O'Gleish, and you know we 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 were going through some barren times, and I could never have envisaged that I would see nine in a row, and I certainly I certainly didn't think I'd get to a European final, but we did. And we also done that magnificent quadruple treble, which you wrote a great piece in the fanzine about. So, like, we've really enjoyed it. Um, since the new co have come back, you know, I suppose the writing was on the wall maybe when we played them in the League Cup. We could see they were improving and maybe we were going back. But, you know, when you think to the to the, the Dembelli, you know, demolition of them, and you also think of Eddie coming off the bench in Oibrox when we're down to 10 men. These are wonderful, wonderful memories. And recent years as well.
1: No doubts about it. The League Cup, will you touch on? I thought that was very special. I, I unfortunately had seen us play the old Rangers I think three times in Cup Finals, and we'd been beaten in every one. So I'd never been at a Cup Final when we beat a team called Rangers. And that was special for me. And I actually remember walking out that day with the rain piling on me and I thought of all the guys who were there in 92 when we played the old ones in a semi at a pissing rain Hamden Park and what I often think was probably 92 if you maybe look at there was a sort of 93 sales for change took up shape 92 was probably the lowest point in the club's existence you know there was a real sense of helplessness we have a a, a semi-final against the old ones at Hamden the rain team are down we, they go down to 10 men early on and they beat us 1-0. And in some ways, I remember thinking for older guys or guys that maybe were at that game who had now passed, there was a sense of revenge almost with that League Cup game. That was one I really enjoyed walking out. And it, for some reason, I just straight away thought of Hampton 92, that was our revenge. That was a special one. And I know what you're saying, certainly there was a, a concern about a performance that day, but, but it was a special one. Then back-to-the-wall ones can be really, really special. For me... The, the last time I was at Ibrox was the 5-1. That was really, really special. The The first time I was at Ibrox was the very first time I was actually on a plane. We got beat 4-0 March 2000. We would go to lose the league by 21 points and you said, this is gone. Again, there was that sense of complete help. as just Martin O'Neill comes in and the rest is history, as you say.
2: Yeah, I walked out of Ibrox as well, kieran I was down for the 5-1 um, and we we beat them 6-2. Yeah. And... Um, the, the beat. So I think it was, it was one than a half time. I think Henrik equalised, and then they went. And I always remember, like the next day, the newspapers. You know, Dick Avic had said in his press conference because we we'd gone on the bill straight after, so we hadn't seen anything. But on the way home the next day, he'd said, "Um, now maybe we will bring a video out." And I just found you cheeky bastard because <laughs> yeah. we brought out the six two six two video. Um. So yeah, like the, there is there is them moments, but like. Selling Pag rocking when you play them is, is is magnificent. Beating them in a cup is magnificent, but when you beat them, in, you when you beat them in Oibrox and that stand, you know the long end is, it's because if if you can kind of paint the picture for people that maybe haven't been to a game in Oireachtas before the game. Everyone's on the roundabout looking who haven't got, hasn't got a ticket, you know, and all the usual heads are there. And you know, they've a ticket, you know, they've a spare ticket, but they're just waiting for someone to come up. So, you <laughs> te- you if you meet someone that hasn't got a ticket, you're saying, Look, hang by him there. And you say, Look, if you've hang spare, you give him a ticket, you know, and you know, the people I'm talking about there's four or five always have a couple of tickets. Then you'll head around and maybe get a coffee or a burger at the vans outside, and you know, they're paying for our blood, and there's a bit of you know. Does the, the police line and you're so nervous going in, especially for them 12 o'clock kickoffs because you could have a hangover as well, which makes it worse. Because if you've been over the night before, but you go in, but when you score, like I remember Lee Griffiths behind us, you know, I remember Wayne Rooney at a game in Ibrox when Keane was playing. Keane was at standing that day, it was probably the best game he played for us in, in a short time. But when that's when you, that ball goes in, and the back of that, it's, it's it's like it's shaking, and you know that you've come to that patch and you've torn them over, and you know that's one of the highest of the season, going there and turning them over. But when you don't do it, it's it's gut wrenching coming out, you know, and having the triumphalism.
1: Yeah, I I definitely think of the huddle. The huddle for me is at, at Ibrox, and that Bloomington Road stand is the moment for me where you're probably most alive, just adrenaline course in every vein of you. That, that, that it's, it's raw. You know, it is football, it is raw. And I, I was fortunate enough to be there that that Martin O'Neill season I touched on, the 3-0 day when, when Luba got 2 and Henrik got his 50th. I was there then. The following season, we won 2-0. Alan Thompson, who's, who's been a great guest of yours many times, got one of the great Celtic goals at Ibrox and I was there probably the best of all in many ways was a beach ball derby I, I was a student in college I'd been in Bow Vista I'd come back and scraping pennies together got offered a ticket on the Friday and and if I was to pick four or five days of my time following the Celtic that was most magical I would certainly go that Thursday morning from the charter to Boal Vista to coming back to Sunday at Ibrox that was special I, I I then went on a barren run of about 12 or 13 games without winning I used to bump into a, a friend of both of ours Vincent Doherty often and we had this sort of sense we were both a hoodoo and I remember the morning in that 5-1 game where where under Brendan Rogers in season walking down Union Street and seeing Vincent and going on oh, no not you again <laughs> you know and I sort of vowed after that 5-1 going I'll never go back I said it, it, it doesn't get any more perfect than that because I'd been at so many bad days that that was a day I just walked out and I didn't have a drink after for a long while, I, I just soaked it up and thought, we've gone there, this place where the first time I had been, we'd been beaten 4-0, we've gone there and won 5-1, you know, there was, I remember walking out that 4-0 and going, we didn't even get a goal, what would it be like to see to get a goal, that to win 5-1, you know, it, it was the ultimate, but but you are right, it's, it's from a Celtic supporters perspective, it's Probably when you're at your roast, it's certainly, you know, it, it's the game that is the one where you don't sleep a whole lot the night before. It's it's, it's, it's raw. They, they, I, I think the new crowd have killed that to a certain degree with the 800s, you know, that it, it isn't the same. You know, and I, I think that goes as well within our own grounds. Uh, it's it's not the same as the fixture was before. But And certainly Sunday is going to be very different than an empty Stadium, but listen, if you can do it at Ibrox, you know, is, is still the thing that's, that's within you as a Celtic fan. So, listen, hopefully, that that look goes Sunday. And the one positive I have Sunday is at least Vincent Doherty won't be at the game, <laughs>
2: <laughs> Karen. Um, like you touch on Sunday though, and it's 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 it defines off season, you know, it's massive, you know, we, we like the similarities from Scott Brown to Billy McNeil captain for nine in a row, didn't win the 10, Billy went out with a Scottish Cup. Wouldn't it be wonderful to see Scott Brown going out with a Scottish Cup?
1: There's no, and not many people have touched on that, you know, that the image you have of Billy McNeil, our greatest ever captain, the greatest ever south, of his final, is holding a cup that final in 75 against Airdrie and it will be fitting for Scott Brown. I think these players over to him might have been quite critical about Scott Brown from his earlier part of the career, but he has been a wonderful, wonderful captain to us over the last number of years and it would be very fitting. And I think there's a sense amongst most Celtic supporters, given the season that's been in it, let's do this one for Scott Brown. You know, as much as a support, let's do this one for Brown. So it would be extremely fitting. If we could get over Sunday, kick on there, whatever happens with the manager happens with the manager come the summer. But but let's, let's get over Sunday first, have a look at it and give us as a support something to smile about from what's been a pretty horrible season in, in a pretty horrible time in many people's lives
2: Yeah it has been it's, it's you know the football we would have liked it to give us a lift you know when we're, when we're locked down or we can't see loved ones or whatever but it wasn't to be and you know it, it, we we'd fans Zagreb fans and we, we missed you know we missed the pub after the game or the bus down the road to have a proper conversation about the game with people that you share the same values because sometimes I I see stuff on social media but I don't know who the person is because it's a faceless account now they could be wonderful people but you're kind of looking going you know who's behind this account so I tend to not get in an argument with them I kind of switched off social media halfway through the season and onto the WhatsApp groups because the WhatsApp groups is your mates and um, and within even, within even within them groups, you've got a smaller group. If 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 you don't want to listen to someone, you can just go into the smaller group. And I'm sure there's a lot of people don't want to listen to me. But I think I always think you you know there's a reaction straight after the game. But when you sleep on it, it can be a little different. You you, you think a little different. Um, but missing, Kieran, missing the you know missing the point in the pub after the game, with your mates, you know, bumping into someone in the airport, or in your case, the, you know, the boat, it's just, it, 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 I just can't wait, I can't wait to get, if someone said to me now, you know, I'd go, I'd take a trial vaccine there as would, and they could stick it anywhere, if I thought I could just get back to Glasgow.
1: No, definitely, you're, you're right about that piece post-match, and, I remember going back even to, to our last defeat against the New Rangers December 2019 when we got B2-1. And again, you get back to the bus and that silence I talk about. It's just not a peep. And, and you get down the road and, and what many of the Irish buses do, we stop in and get out of Glasgow so guys can then get a pint and so Stop in and the kids can get it cheaper and stuff for that hour or two. And, and within them couple of hours, suddenly everything seemed okay again. You know, uh, there is that collective sense of... And you're right, we, we touch on with... I always have a guys, but who guys have an incredible respect for a Celtic men, you know, and, and some of the best rows you have are these guys, because you know that they're genuine, but. That's the piece post-match, you know, we're hearing a narrative now which is, is often being driven by those that want to be sensationalist more than actually real. And, and because we're all on social media now post-match, because we're not in pubs or on buses and stuff, the social media narrative has had a huge level of importance this season. And, you know, I agree, it can't come quick enough to get back to some semblance of normality. And, you know, it, it, it's, it is only football, but for lots of us who invest an awful lot of time and emotion into it, out with family and, and obviously work and stuff Self is the most important thing in our lives and, and, and for me personally you know it has been a huge huge void and you know I'm lucky I've kept going and working throughout the COVID and stuff but I cannot wait like that to, to get back and as much as I'll curse the alarm clocks at 3am and stuff I jokingly think jeez what we'd give now to be setting that alarm and not going to sleep at all with the dodgy sandwiches in the bag and listen to the same L.E. just the ferry talking about how things are always better 30 years ago
2: <laughs> yeah and uh, like when you talk about you know social media and the advances in, in technology when the the cup final we were the lockdown was, was over for for about two weeks and we, we, we'd we arranged to go to a pub in the middle of nowhere in Grange Geat um, in the middle of nowhere for, for a bite to eat and a couple of points I think it was six of us and we went in and we were socially distant and it, it, it was it was it was kind of, you know, the inner circle of the Magrits. It was all my kind of close mates that I'd been going the games with for, since the club formed. And we watched the game and, and Eugene was the close to me and the penalty shooter, and he, he was, he was, he was have faith, you know, and even when they got to the two, 2-2, two, he was, and he's normally the one that's not, but I was kind of panicking. But match was over. They put on... Um, but a Premier League game was on, they put it on straight away. So we headed up to, to Kebby's. Um, he has a bar at the back of his house. So we headed up there to, to watch the, the trophy presentation and to have, have a few more drinks. And we all went to go on our phones. But they didn't work, you know. So I said, what's the story with the Wi-Fi? It doesn't really work in the cold weather or, or something to that effect. So we had no phones we had a wonderful night and we had a wonderful conversation uh, you know and uh, you know that's, that's what's been missing but it would have been even better if we were in Glasgow but we went but you know like, again it's it, it, take out social media take out you know all the hype take out the daily record take out all the bullshit that goes with it. there's 11 men against 11 men there's 8,000 of us used to be in in, in Ibrox or 8,000 of them in Celtic Park you know There's 11 men on on the pitch, or sometimes 10 or 9, but it is, it's down to them then. You know, as fans, we go to game, we have our passion, we have our point, but at the end of the day, Kieran, there's 11 men taking to that field on Saturday or on Sunday now, whether there's fans in the ground or not on the ground, and they owe us something. And they owe themselves something because they're better players than they performed this year.
1: What I do, there's professional pride involved where, where no doubts they are with something. And, you know, you touched on earlier. No matter what pub, it could have been the best pub in the world you were in, it could have been the greatest food, nothing beats being there, you know? And we touched early on the ferry and anyone who's travelled on the ferry and stuff will know that moment when all the buses... The the ferry on the road from Cairnryan to Glasgow, and and you just see a convoy of ten, twelve, fifteen buses ahead of you, and and you know in that moment it's like we an army, you know it does it gets that feel. there's, there's nothing like being there, uh, and these players seriously owe oh, the support big time. You know, we've stumped up. We've never as a support been found wanting, you know. And I, I think this season has been a season for Gap. But they owe us something small to give it some level of positivity. And it needs to start on Sunday. You know, let's let's look at Sunday and then we'll, we'll, we'll take it game after, game after game after that. But, you know, what's left? Six, seven games this season, I don't know. Taking it cup games and stuff. And, and by God, you're you're fighting that. Uh, Not every one of them, but but, but, uh, a large cohort of them have left themselves down professionally massively over the last number of months, and we've something small to salvage, and, and there's a magic with Celtic in the Cup, you know, I know you, had David Potter on before, who's the Scottish Cup is Celtic's trophy, you know, and wouldn't it be a fitting way for Scott Brown to end his time lifting that trophy, and I, I, as I, I touched on with, with the Billy McNeil piece, you know, that's the visual image have of have Caesars last game, and has his time with Celtic, is, is holding that Cup against Erdogan in 75, and I, I just think it'll be, it'd be a fantastic ending for the Bruni, and awful shame nobody's going to be there, but Let's let's end the way it should, and and the way it should end for him is holding that cup in May.
2: Yeah, here, here, Kieran, and it's it it was great to have uh, Eddie on as well. You know, Eddie's when we, when Eddie was on, we we were speaking about the '95 Cup final, and 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 Tommy, you know how special it was to Tommy Bones, but this could be a really special one for Scott Brown.
1: Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's it's you know Scott Brown has is a wonderful record in it. Like you think of you know think of ourselves as a support in the cup final. It has been such an event for us over the last few years. I know Eddie spoke about how he gets his attire for the cup final, but we all have our wonderful cup day routines and memories, particularly of the the treble treble. I think you know the, the them three cup finals particularly were ones that stood out. Just for the tinker cup finals, and you asked about good and bad days earlier. Uh, to my forever shame, I remember the 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 week after we played D- the Black Sunday in 05, we played Dundee United in the Cup. And I would say it was the only time I ever watched the Celtic. And in the moment, thought in that moment, I don't care how we do. I was so floored by it. I, 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 and retrospectively, I look back and I'm so, so glad we won it. Because again, it was Martin O'Neill's last game at the club and stuff and I was probably too caught up in the emotion of what had happened the previous week but you know it's not just about now for Scott Brown and this group it's about looking back and, and, and looking back at years to come and going what a fitting way to finish a career that you know as a the captain has only been surpassed by by Caesar himself which isn't bad company to be in to be honest
2: yeah un- unbelievable he's, had, he's been brilliant Karen. it it's been um, a pleasure it's been great to see you uh, I look forward yeah. to seeing you, seeing you in the flesh and and we can have one of our top 10 conversations <laughs> so listen um, thanks very much for coming on Celtic AM and hopefully we'll get you back on or maybe back in the podcast at some stage brilliant look forward
1: to and, and fingers crossed for Sunday Andrew hail hail
2: hail hail my friend great to catch up with Kieran again always love a chat with Kieran. great 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 person Outside Celtic as well, does some great work within the community, as I said before, and through his job as a social worker. Another person from Nave Park, I want to give a shout out to, is Pierce, who I don't know personally, but he started a new podcast called The Patriot Game with Martin Murphy from Edinburgh. And I know Martin, because Martin was on Celtic AM, was in Malone's, talking about uh, dementia and how he cuts homeless people's hair and uh, other gentlemen, or even some younger gentlemen who are suffering from dementia. And he does some brilliant work, Well, he was doing before the lockdown. I'm not sure how he's fixed now. And there's another lad in Belfast involved as well. And Liam Kelly, who writes a little for us in the fanzine and on the website, was one of the guests on, I think it was episode two. And I think within the first week, the two episodes, I didn't listen to the first episode, sorry, but I did listen to the second episode and the best of luck to you is I know how hard it is to get a podcast out because there's so many now but I know you're all genuine Celtic fans and uh, I'm looking forward to listening to the first episode back and more episodes in the future another podcast I want to give a shout out to is the Homeboys they done a wonderful five episode package for a fiver for the Cana Foundation and they raised a good few thousand quid uh I've listened to three so far, still have two to go. I think my favourites are Harpo's kind of desert island disc type podcast with former World Snooker champion, John Higgins, who comes across as an absolute gentleman. I pumped into John once or twice through his his brother and Joe and um he's absolutely He's everything in the podcast that he, he was when I met him. A real down-to-earth Glasgow boy. And it's wonderful. And the selection of music I loved. There was a bit of soul in it. And I was surprised at the end when he spoke about um, musicals. And I think his kids are involved in musicals. So if you get to check that podcast out, um, I think... I'm not sure if you can still it's still available, but I'm sure if you contact the boys and you donate a fiver, they'll send you on the package. And another... One I really, really enjoyed was the two Jasons, which was Jason Higgins, John's brother, older brother, boys brother maybe, or not so wise, and Jason Maloney, who's a Sham Groves fan, who also loves loves a bit of the Celtic. And I want to just say get well soon to, to Jason Maloney because he's been suffering from COVID. And uh, we want you back writing for the fans in your lazy so-and-so because your stuff is always magic and always well-received when we stick your articles in. But they just come too rare, Jason. So best of luck to the Patriot Game podcast and continued success to the homeboys. They're out on Friday nights as well. And um, I suppose that podcast is the closest you'll get to going down the pub on a Friday night for a few points with your Celtic mates uh, during the lockdowns. So as I said, best of luck to the boys. If you Google them all. They're on Twitter or on social media. You'll be able to listen to the podcasts. Anyway, that's enough promoting the uh, fellow podcasts and uh, fellow fanzines. Look forward now to the conversation with Scott McDonald from his home in Australia. And I thank Scott because he he's always very uh, quick to get back to us when we ask him to do anything. He is a player that broke my heart before he came to Celtic. But he also set me heart racing in big, big games in the Champions League and against Rangers. And he proved a lot of people wrong when he came to Celtic. There was a lot of doubtless. And he got stuck in. And he formed a great partnership up front. But Yandy, Vendigo, he has a link. So that was a bad Dutch Jackson. So here's how we got on chatting to Scotty. Well, Scotty, welcome back. This is Celtic AM. We had you on the podcast, so folks, make sure you check out Scotty in the podcast. It was almost a year ago when we spoke, and I'm still in lockdown, but your life is back to normal.
6: Yes, it is. Uh, I'm sorry to hear that. Also, that you're still in lockdown, but yeah, um, over here in good old Australia, we're uh, enjoying life. I think um, only of the last couple of weeks, we've actually had a couple of cases, and we've had masks on, and we had a mini lockdown for about a week, but we, we came out of that and uh, back to the, the new normal, as they say. So life is good. I see you've got a good tan now. <laughs> oh, well, I live in Queensland, so it's, it's sunny all year. It's the sunshine state, as they call it. So, yeah, it's, uh, it's hard not to. I don't huh. rub it in anymore.
2: <laughs> well, I, went for, I put my shorts on to bring the dog for a walk last weekend because it was a lovely sunny day, and by the time I got back, it was snowing.
6: I've just seen that it's snow in April, eh? For everyone uh, you know, back there, it's uh, it's been crazy, um, but hopefully there's a bit of sunshine to come and everyone can get out and enjoy it. Fingers crossed for all you guys.
2: And hopefully that sunshine comes on Sunday now with the game removed when we play Rangers and Oybrocks. Now you've been to Oybrocks, you've scored Have against indeed, Rangers, yeah. and you've lifted a cup, which was the league <laughs> cup against Rangers. Now. Scotty, I've seen you on the pitch and most of the viewers will have seen them games, but what I really want to get from you is I want to get, what's it like in the build-up to these games? The pressure, you know, are you looking forward to it? You know, the team bus, the atmosphere, and maybe, what's it like for the players who, who were brought up in, in a Celtic way?
6: Uh, look, I think it's, I think they're fortunate this time round, of the being a one-off game as well, and playing at your your rivals' stadium. Um, did that go blank there?
2: No, you're back sorry, on. I lost you're back
6: the... on. Right, sorry about that. Yeah, I, I, look, so just speaking about um, you know playing at Brooks. You know, it's always a tough place to go, but obviously with no fans being there, you know they, they've been there already this season. Played some excellent football, and if Beton never got sent off, it could have been a different result completely on that day. And the performance that Celtic have had in recent games, they can take real positiveness from. So I think we'll be nerves. There's always nerves, especially being a one-off game as well. It's anything can happen on that day to to really make the difference. Um, usually you're in that that changing room at Ibrox, you know the, the tension starts to build. You go out for the warm up, the hatred begins, and then the the head gets switched on, um, and you get back in that tunnel and. And then get changed, get yourself ready, and then uh out to out to the fire, as they say, uh, into the furnace. Um and look, I always enjoyed those occasions, especially, you know, playing in those those big games and, and wanting to be the guy who makes the difference. I think all the players that are playing on the day want to be that guy. They envisage that, you know, before they go out there, the whole week's build up. The whole week's build-up, as we know, is is crazy. I mean, from a reporter's point of view, all the press that's behind it, the media, and the players generally, you know, when not in lockdown, you always had to be careful and mindful of where you were going what you were doing that week. Um, I remember a couple of occasions just driving along in, in Glasgow and, People would recognise you and they would pull up next you and start giving you the finger, and <laughs> you're like, "Roll." We know who they support, <laughs> you know, and there was just there was little altercations and incidents like that all the time. But that's the fever of what uh, this game brings, especially the week of. and it'll be no different. And look, this is a, a massive game for both clubs. Um, Rangers will be looking to secure a double, uh, keep. You know, obviously, they've been beaten in the League Cup already, but something want to put one over, them. they've not done it yet this year. So they, they they really are desperate to get that. And obviously, John Kennedy, who's still pushing for the managerial job, albeit we we're more inclined to say that it's going to be Eddie Howe or it's going to be another manager that's that's going to be in charge. But for for John, it would. Be great for his CV if he was able to get over the line at and, and the Scottish Cup in charge at Celtic and uh, onto whatever he's going to do next, or if he does stay at, at Celtic Park as an assistant if he doesn't get the job. So, um, I know I think it's you know for the likes of Scott Brown, this is this is a massive game, the biggest game, one of the biggest games of his career because you know Scott for all the trophies he's won, I certainly think you know if to be the last team standing in Scottish football that season, his final season, and to win a Scottish Cup on that day is a, is none more fitting uh, for the man and, and for the career he's had at the football club. So, fingers crossed, Celtic can, can do a job on the day and, and reach a final and, and, and be victors.
2: Yeah, he would mirror Billy McNeil because Billy won nine in a row, he failed to do ten in a row, and the 1975 Cup final... When he was lifted up high, lifted the cup, was his last his last game for Celtic. So it would be it would be a fitting for Scott Absolutely. to do the same. Yeah. But there's also there's also from a fans point of view, like Ibrox since they took away the allocation before the lockdown for the Celtic fans. Yeah. And, and and vice versa, them coming to Celtic Park. I had Kieran Kenny on the show today as well and Kieran no, from a fans point of view, spoke about how they killed it because there was eight thousand of us behind the goals. And when yes. the Celtic team would run out, the buzz we would get from the colour and whatever Tifo was, yes. was doing and you know, that included Beach Ball Sunday. What was it yes. like is it, what was it like when you could run out as a player and run run towards the Celtic fans in Ibrox? The best.
6: The best. Because you were going to war. Like you, you were going to someone else's turf, basically other country, and you were trying to invade it. And, you know, you had that whole end with your supporters. It was, there was none better feeling. And obviously for me, I, I was, you know, fortunate enough to have a great occasion there and, and scoring the winner at, at that end Um on the day, you know, winning 1-0. Um, it was a day I'll never forget and probably, okay, one of the best goals I scored for the club. Um, But one of the most memorable days as well, um, you know, to win, an old firm game and get the only goal and uh, to be at you know Ibrox as well. It was yeah, that's what dreams are made of. They really are, and uh, you get to give their fans a little bit as well, which is always enjoyable. <laughs> yeah, we, we did we did love you that
2: day. Um, for us, the first I suppose the first um, the first thing about going to Ibrox is making sure you have a ticket. You know, because yeah. it's it, 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 it's it's hard to get. It's it's hard to get tickets because you know. Everybody that goes to Inverness and, and Aberdeen, and you know, they all want a ticket. And, but then you've also got, you know, I've seen Wayne Rooney at a game, and in with us, yeah. you know. I've,
6: been, I've been at games as well. Um, I was there the day when uh, all the fans were throwing the pepperamis armies on the pitch. Um, actually, that was the same year that what happened, what happened. Uh, Craig Bellamy ended up scoring the winner at there. And it looked like the league was finished, and obviously it wasn't. So I don't want to really talk about that no, anymore. I, 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 but... I
2: Either way, Scott, because this is a feel-good, feel-good show, and you're not. <laughs> yeah. still...
6: That's me. <laughs> Sorry, but yeah, but my experiences as a fan was was brilliant, uh, and that day was was unreal. And to be to be in there and and experience it, there's no there's no better day than being, you know, there at your rivals' pitch and and going away from home. I think I think it beats obviously winning and beating them at, at, at Celtic Park. If you're there that day, it's always a day of remember that day, you know, when you're talking to your mates and you always say, that was the day we were there and this happened and that happened. They're always hugely memorable days, especially when you win those games. Everyone that's been there will always remember it.
2: Yeah, and, and I don't know what it's like for the players, but um, there's, always, there's always a special feeling when the huddle is done in Ibrox.
0: I yeah. don't know what it is. Yeah. It's
2: just, you know, like, you know, this is it, boys. This is war. You know, that's, yeah, that's exactly the kind of feeling you get. You're, inv-
6: uh, you're putting the flag down, basically. Yeah, and <laughs> you're, inv- like,
2: you're invading the territory. Like your goalkeeper, you know, Arthur Baric. You know, Arthur would just <laughs> he would just wind them up so much. You know, like yeah. cult Arthur had cult status with us, and not only that, yeah. I yeah. think he was he was the best goalkeeper I ever seen. For Celtic, and that include, like people would go on and be Fraser Foster, but for me, Arthur Barrage was the best, the best goalkeeper, mm-hmm. and you know, and a wonderful story about Arthur Barridge when he was at Bournemouth. I got an email from the secretary of Bournemouth, wanted to know how she, you know, someone in the club wanted to subscribe to the fanzine, and I, of course, I, I'm going, you know, so I, yeah. so I sent out the subscription details. We got payment. And I posted it to Bournemouth Football Club. No name, though, no. And I got a picture back with Arthur. They the emailed me back the a person. picture with Arthur for getting the fans in. And I just yeah. thought, you know, this is quality because years before that, we'd had him on the cover and the, the slogan was, blessing yourself is not a crime because he was getting he was yeah. getting half for blessing himself. So that was so obviously he, he, he picked that copy up in Glasgow. And then, I don't know how out of It was yeah. actually the belly was on the front, so it's a while ago. But it was a big, big buzz for me to be able to tell the yeah. boys at the bar just subscribe to the fans. Ian. But, yeah. at the other end of the pitch then, you mentioned you mentioned the goal. Tell us a little.
6: Uh, look, I, I just remember it getting flicked on by, by Samaras at the time, by Samian. Um, I had Broadfoot pinned and it was just it just came to me nicely on my chest it the was flicked on and i was always one when i played with the centre forwards to tell them and big yam was was the best at it it was like if you're going to flick it on just flick it on backwards. then i know exactly what you're going to do don't be flicking it to the left or be flicking it to the right unless i'm making a run and it's obvious and you can visually see that otherwise i'm always going to be behind you right and i want you to just flick it on like that and then spin and try and be available, or else I'll try and roll. So it was just that perfect occasion where Sammy's done that. He's flicked it, and then he's rolled it one way, and uh, Broadfoot's been caught probably on the wrong side of me, and, and as soon as I'd need I knew I had space. And for a split second there, it took an eternity just for the ball to drop to the perfect height for me to be able to hit it. And I, and I always remember being slightly more composed at that point to wait for the right time to actually strike it and I couldn't have hit it any sweeter it was just there was no chance you know for the guy who's still in goal for them who, who we know is an excellent keeper uh you know Alan McGregor you know he's, he's been fantastic for them unfortunately at times does. Um, but on that day and that occasion he, he just absolutely had no chance it was an absolute rocket into the into the top corner so that was a uh, lovely feeling and then you just see the place erupt you know right in front of you and it's actually, you want to go and jump in there and be part of it, but you're sort of gone, no, I have to compose myself a little bit here. <laughs> I'm going to get into trouble. So, but it was a great feeling. And then obviously at the end, the celebrations, as always when you win a game at Ibrooks and you like to rub salt in the wombs and it's, it's fantastic to do that with your own fans. So, um, you know, hopefully we'll have those occasions back, you know, soon enough again, fingers crossed.
2: Yeah, look, look we... we... If they, like to take away the tickets from us was, was, you know, it was it was it was a low point. But I was at the game. I was at the game when we hammered them in Oi and the, the directors all stayed. The directors all the Rangers directors. Obviously, we 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 stayed in the stadium after celebrating. But the, the Rangers, all the Rangers fans were gone, bar maybe a handful of nutters who stand in the corner and give us fingers and you know shoot us with their fingers and bits and pieces. But the, the board the board of directors were all outside they never went into the boardroom they were having a talk and what came out of that was they took our allocation away and I firmly firmly believe that because they stood out watching us which is unusual because the directors normally are gone once the players go off the pitch the directors could go as well so I I firmly believe that um, and because it just because now to try and get a ticket is like
6: it's yeah, so, it's so hard about only it's being cool. like eight hundred or whatever it is. Yeah, it's so difficult.
2: And before you could go over because you know you would have you you be in the dressing room, but on the roundabout outside Ibrox where the Celtic fans congregate, I said it to Kieran earlier right, on. You know, there's always four or five bankers there. There's four or five have either big supporters clubs. They've always got tickets, and they'll 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 hang there, Scotty. And if you've got your ticket, but your mate hasn't, you'll say you'll go up and introduce him and say, look, if you've anything spare before before you know the game, will you give it to him? Oh I've none spare, I've none spelled. And you say to me, stick there because if if he hasn't got a ticket, no one has a ticket. And I remember yeah. I remember one day there's
6: the family in. Yeah, the family's just come through the door. Say hello. <laughs>
2: it's
6: crazy time. I'm on I'm on a recording guys, right? <laughs> leave it leave me be, please. <laughs> I oh, shut the door. Sorry about that, Andrew. No, that's, <laughs> brilliant. Sorry, that's everyone. brilliant. That's a live yeah. and exclusive. <laughs> yeah,
2: but, just back from football training. I went over to uh, to a game one Sunday morning with a gang of us. I think we had ten tickets, and there was a lad picking them up for us the night before, but he got arrested. Oh no! And he was he was <laughs> in the cell with the ticket, but we didn't notice. So, um, with about? half an hour to kick off the go. I'm standing waiting for the tickets with, with all the lads and uh someone comes up and says look I got me ticket off him last night but he got lifted for drunken disorderly or something so I went you're kidding me so I know tickets so I then went to all the bankers and I ended up getting everybody a ticket about two people so that wow. goes, goes to show you the tickets are around that roundabout but yeah the problem was no, they're not So, you're like, you no. know, I haven't got a ticket now, you don't even go for the weekend
6: because you just
2: say. No. But now another game, Scotty, that I want to ask you about, and I'm just going to get the team up here.
6: Was I could probably give you it. <laughs> right, come on, league league cup final. Yeah, um, I believe it was Hinkle, yeah. Caldwell, McManus, Od. Left back, um, Nakamura was it Hartley? Uh, who played Aiden McGeady? There was me and Samaras. I'm missing a midfielder, Paul Hartley, and I don't think it was Barry Robson because I think he was injured at the time. So I'm gonna say it was Scott Brown. Well, the, Am I the, right? the team
2: I have in front of me here is Barak, Henkel, Lovins, McManus, O'Dee. Caldwell, Nagamora, Scott Brown, Hartley, McGeady, McDonald, Samaras. That was Sorry, that, I got was, I got
6: one wrong. I got Hinkle wrong. Hinkle wasn't playing. Caldwell was playing right back, obviously, if Lewin's was playing.
2: Yeah. Uh, but you've O got D, McManus Lewins and Caldwell. So maybe one of them was playing maybe one of them was playing up beside Scott Brown. That's a that's a no, it would have been hard, no, Scott Brown.
6: Uh, Gaz Caldwell actually played right back a lot. Uh, still, he was in between at times. He could play right back, so he would have played right back. Louvins and McManus centre backs, and Darren Ade played left back at that time. He was he was first choice left back at that time because Lee Naylor got injured, and then uh, Darren just fitted into that, and he done well on a couple of occasions. And, and Gordon kept with him. He, oh, well, he, that he, he sort of, yeah, well, he did, didn't he? He certainly did. Obviously, getting on the end, of, you know, that header from Nakamura's. I think it was a free kick, wasn't it? You know, it was a superb header. But
2: I look at that team, um, and I, I remember that day. Um, I remember that day so well because, like, nil nil, and then like, you, like I don't know what it's like for a player, but as a fan, you've no nails left, and you know you've you've yeah. you've kicked every ball, you've been through every emotion, and then you know McGeady, you know D two Irish internationals, torn up. Yeah. You know for an Irish boy, you know it doesn't get any better than that. But with with Nakamura in your team and Arthur and Nets, you've always got a chance against anyone because Nakamura was just magical.
6: Yeah, he was. We've um, got to remember how good a side Rangers were at that time as well. You know, the, you know, Pedro Mendes, you know, Steve Davis, Barry Ferguson. Um, I can't remember who was playing at the back. I think Carlos Quella was playing. Was he there or was it um, the other big guy that came the year after that? Possibly um Davey Weir they had a really good side they, they were very experienced um you know so you, you knew it was always going to be a tough game for you know playing against them uh, and it was quite an edgy game it was it, there wasn't a lot in it I think I had a really good chance before the end of 90 minutes to to nick it and win it um and went through I think it was a 1v1 uh, rush I think McGregor rushed out and I, I just couldn't connect with it properly so you you go off the back of that and you think, oh god, maybe that was the chance of the day and and I've not I failed to take it. Um, but then extra time comes and like you said, you know your special players turn up and you know Nakamura delivers a fantastic ball and obviously you know Darren gets up the way he gets up and and gets a great header and obviously then the elation of that you know it's it's again that's what dreams are made of. I talk about going to Ibrox and and scoring goals, but. Winning trophies and, and winning cup finals um, is something that um, I would have loved to have done more, without question, Andrew. And that was the that was the thing that really uh, hurt me probably when I left afterwards. You know, thinking you know I just would have loved to have won, you know, more you know more accolades at the football club and more days like that because the memories you have from that and the relationships that you you have from those days, those special, they're never forgotten between you and the players. Um, and then it was capped off, obviously, right at the very end for everyone. You know the way Aid went through and uh, brought, you know, hacked him down, got sent off, so that pleased all Celtic fans. And then he buried it to to kill the kill the game, and uh, off we go celebrating thereafter. So it was truly magical. Um, it was just unfortunate, though, at the at the very end of it, I got a tap on the shoulder, and there was the drug tester. <laughs> so. It was That was a huge disappointment for me because it was me and Gary Caldwell that got basically hooked straight into the drug testing room after the game. After we lifted the trophy, we were straight in the drug testing room. We couldn't even go in and celebrate with all the boys. So that one time you, you lift the trophy and, and we've seen all the celebrations, obviously because we've got social media now and access to Celtic TV and, and you see what the celebrations are like with the players and, and what they're doing in with me and Gary coming, it was a morgue. It, all, it had all finished. Everyone had had their <laughs> celebration. The champagne was already sprayed everywhere. There's me, there's me and Gary trying to pick up the drinks. You know, <laughs> to celebrate and in the end.
2: Sky, you see, you see in, in, in a dress room like that, right? So you, you know, you're on a high, celebrating, drinking champagne, and you know, as you say, we've all seen it now on social media and, and the, the team TV channel, but. Like obviously, it's one hundred and twenty minutes. You know, mentally, physically, the build-up. You know, it's it's it it it's a cup final, but it's a cup final against, you know, yeah. our, our biggest rivals. Like, are you just exhausted after? Or, or, like...
6: You're heavily relieved. You're heavily relieved because of the pressure of the situation and what it means to a lot of people and the expectations as well. And if you don't win it what uh how that will go down and how everyone will feel about that at the time that's all you can think of there's, there's not oh there'll be a next time that never goes through your mind it's just a disaster and you want to go and hide in in a cupboard in your house somewhere for uh, you know a week until the next game comes along to try and get over that agony and also at that point as well which didn't actually end up being the case but you're thinking it's a psychological blow to either side, whoever loses it with the title race in the hands. It was, we were, at, I don't know how many points, if it was four points or if it was seven points going into that game. And then you go and beat them in the cup final. And you're thinking, right, psychologically now you've got them. They're, they're dead and buried. Um, but again, that was to our own detriment. We, we, we let ourselves down that year by not picking up the points that we needed to win the title. We, we handed it back to them. Um, And that was the disappointment that season at the, at the back end, we lost it last day, the reverse of the season four, and we were in the box seat. Um, So that was, again, um, as much as the league cup was an amazing thing, losing the league is always the league's always the big one, but, there was so much riding on that game itself, like I said, because you felt like whoever won this game was going to have the upper hand into the final race to to win the title.
2: Yeah, and you mentioned you mentioned the uh, the league title that you did win a Celtic. That was um, that was an amazing run at the end of the season. You know, beat Rangers twice. Up to you know, it was that was was it was it was
6: a big Yan scored. Um, yeah the header
2: yes, we, right.
6: we, we, beat was, them twi- we beat them twice in one week didn't we yeah and it'll always go down in man but and rightly so as the tommy burns title oh. you know for for everything that uh, everyone had been through at that stage and um the sudden you know the the, the sudden obviously loss of, of tommy um to the whole celtic family it was it was only fitting it was and that will always be amazing and, and one of the best memories of, of my life and, and, and in my career, you know, that night. Um, and, and being at, you know, albeit it was at Tantalis, it didn't matter where it was for me. It was it was the only title I ended up winning. but It was my first one and thinking, right, it doesn't matter. And, and just the way it happened, it was it was an amazing story because one gave us a chance with eight games to go that we were ever going to be title content or that we were right out of the title race. So to win it was, was an amazing thing and um, obviously it would have been amazing to to have done it again at some other point, you know, later down the track at, at Celtic Park, but it, it didn't happen for me for one reason or the other. But again, I never take anything back though because of all the experiences and the memories are still so fresh in the mind. Like, like I said, you know, we could talk about things and I can still remember clear as day. I can still remember the party afterwards as well. That was good.
4: <laughs>
6: you know, as much as I was probably couldn't remember much at the time. Looking back, it was uh, it was great. And the mini on the way to the journey to to twenty nine, which is where we went to the after party, um, was was such a laugh. I won't name names, but there was a few mad ones on there.
2: Well, I can imagine one. <laughs> the Viking. King.
6: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like,
2: that's just uh, it's funny every time, no matter when we, we do anything about Celtic, Tommy Bones comes up, you yeah. know. And can I just ask you, um, the backroom team and Gordon Strachan that night, um, because obviously Gordon goes back a long way, he played against Tommy, you know, they would have been yeah. in Scottish teams together, he was in his backroom staff, um, so everyone kind of, you know, like in football, especially Scottish football, knew Tommy. Can you any memories or can you share anything about the emotions of of that night?
6: Yeah, I, I can. Uh, it was very emotional, and it was very emotional for for all of us. But there was obviously certain people in particular who were close to Tommy, the likes of Darren o and Aidan McGee. The, you know, they were brought through the youth ranks through Tommy and had been all the way through with him. So it was it was very heartfelt, and and for for the manager and the, all the coaching staff as well because. They had been there and knew more than what we had throughout the whole occasion. We, we were guarded and protected from it because we had to do the job on the pitch, you know. So the manager took more of a responsibility in terms of that and the relationship he had with Tommy. And I, 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 uh, whether or not Gordon's admitted this or not, you know, I genuinely have heard and believed that it was actually Tommy who convinced Gordon to, to stay on for that next season. Um, in in their chats before he, you know, sadly passed away that he didn't want Gordon to to leave the football club and he, he made sure that he promised him that he would take the club further on. Um, and that's why, you know, Gordon did what he did to... I think once he'd done three in a row, I think he felt that that was probably, you know, as far as he could go with the club and was looking to step aside. But when Tommy asked him to stay and, and be part of the football club longer, I think, obviously, he promised him that and he, he did it for Tommy, you know, um, more than anyone because he, he wanted that to be the case.
2: Yeah, and, and, and it, it, it's funny, like, the like Gordon, you know, was not a Celtic man, uh, but his but his brother-in-law is, I know, I know his brother-in-law, and, he, 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 you know, when his brother-in-law and, and, and Gordon, Dave, would, would talk, um, you know, Gordon couldn't get away this... Guy was so fascinated with Celtic, and you know how much it meant to him. And yeah. then he said, when he took the job and he became part of the club, a club that he played against. When he became part of the club, he just and I think now when you hear God, you know when he's working for Sally TV or, or one of the other. He's a fan. Yeah, I yeah. think I, I I definitely think that the club touched him. You know.
6: Yeah, I, I think so, and I, I think, albeit through that occasion, we everyone's seen a different side to. What they normally seen the panto villain of, of Gordon Strachan at times, especially from a media perspective. But the the graceful man that he that he was and and and, and showed throughout that period to to everyone, to all the outside world, um, through that period, through uh, what and how he obviously attributed, you know, Tommy um, for the man that he was. Um And how Gordon went about his job from then on in and before that as well. I think, you know, I'll, going back to Ibrooks, you know, I mean, there's a great story for me about my first occasion at playing for Celtic in an old firm game was at Ibrooks. And uh, sadly, we lost the game and we, we lost it quite heavily. I think it was two or three nil at the end of the day. And we were very, very poor. And, you know, and after the game, um, Gordon had said he's bit um, and he wasn't. He didn't say too much. He just was hugely disappointed in us. And then obviously he put it to the floor. But have you got anything to say, Gary? No. Poor Tommy. Have you got anything to say? And and Tommy generally would go, nope, no, nope, fine. But on this occasion, Tommy Tommy lost it, you know, and that was that was never seen from Tommy, you know, in terms of talked about. What it meant to him and what it meant to those people out there, and how you'd let everyone down today. And you need to take a good look at yourselves and that jersey you're wearing, and what it means to you because of what it means to everyone else out there. And that needs to change from next week on. And it was, you know, along those lines, not word for word, but it was like, you know, someone hitting you, you're going, Jesus Christ. Yeah, because this man was Celtic, he was everything to the club. So when Tommy spoke, you listened, you know, and there's some fantastic stories. I mean, for me, he, he unfortunately only experienced Tommy, Tommy throughout that season as a player and him as a coach for me. Um, I'd had experiences previous when I was growing up, uh, obviously meeting him, um, when I was a young fan and, and when he was manager there and everything like that. And, it was surreal that now he's my coach. You know, I was like 12, 13, coming to the park, looking for photos, as everyone does. And there he is, one of your coaches. And he pulled me aside one day at pre-season. And it was, it was him who really assured me, you know, like obviously because of the history that I had at the club, um, that you're a Celtic man, you belong here. Uh, and you're good enough to play here, son. Don't, any, don't let anyone else tell you any different. Um, and from that, if Tommy's going to tell you that and say that to you, you're like, well, if it's good enough for him, it's good enough for everyone else. Um, and I just grew in huge confidence. I'll never forget that day. It was in Switzerland. We went on a 10-day uh, tour at the start of Switzerland. I think we were like day two or day three in. And uh, I was performing quite well. And Tommy come and, and put uh, put an arm around me. He just had that special effect on people. And he always knew when to to lift the uh, the spirits Within the camp as well, he was a, a very funny guy. <laughs> yeah, a very very funny guy. And look, he always put a smile on people's faces. You know, and just thinking about him, it's uh, yeah, he was a great man.
2: Yeah, I, I just got goose pimples there when you spoke about his husband's passion in the dressing room and, and what I meant to also outside. So uh, I'm just going to leave the interview there, Scott, because uh, yeah. I don't I don't think I can. Um, it's actually quite emotional. So thanks yeah. for sharing that with us.
6: Uh, no, it is. And I, I remember sharing that story with his son about how he pulled me to the side and how that made me feel because he could do that to people. He really could. You know, just that, him speaking at times was just, yeah, I'm getting emotional now too. It's like, wow. Well, you know, um, he was just a, a great uh, overall and that's why we celebrate him so much.
2: And hopefully Scott will be celebrating the weekend. Um, yeah. We can, we can raise up. a glass maybe.
6: To, <laughs> I'll be watching, don't you worry. <laughs> to Tommy.
2: Um, yeah. Listen, thanks very much for popping in the chat with us. And, uh, uh, you know, the last time I suppose you were on Selling AM, you were in the flesh in Malone's. But life's a yes. little different now for everybody.
6: Absolutely. But hopefully you'll come out of it and everyone's stay safe and healthy and stay safe and healthy. And uh, like I said, hopefully everyone can get out there for that. That summer sunshine, not that there's much of it over there, but I hope you enjoy it. <laughs>
2: and, and, and don't forget the uh, invitation is still open for when we get back to Thailand.
6: Oh, yeah, don't you worry, I'll, I'll be up for that. Absolutely, I'd love that.
2: <laughs> Thank you very much, Scotty, for sharing some wonderful memories, us of your time in Ibrox, on the terraces and on the field. Um, great to get an insight into how it felt to score at Ibrox. Folks, well, that's that's it for this um, weekend, I suppose. Enjoy the match and hopefully we'll be celebrating. Win, lose or draw, but we'll all be Celtic fans in the morning. Thanks to everybody who took part, Kieran Kenny, all the Celtic fans, David Potter and Scott McDonald. And to you for watching or listening. If you want to support us, you can do so by visiting CelticFans.com where you can become a member, subscribe, bye or donate for the price of a point or a coffee. We thank you all for your support and for watching. We play out now with the Blaney pilgrims, 200 miles from home, and it's lovely to play out with them and a wonderful video it is too with some wonderful banners from the old breaks clubs in it because uh, the Blaney pilgrims have a big connection with Nave Park and the bus and this song is about all those long hours spent travelling to see Celtic on the bus. So, folks, keep the faith and stay safe and enjoy the week. And don't forget to check out the podcast with Paul Heaton and our little um, From the Terraces with Joe Miller. Thank you.
4: Is quiet now. The duty freeze no longer going round. The boys down the back have stopped their singing. They're trying to get. Their heads down The beer's too warm for drinking And the coffee Well, it's way too cold It's three o'clock In the morning, and we're still two hundred miles from home. It seems like we've been on the road forever. The people we've met, the stories. We could tell, but it's been less than forty eight hours since we met Govan Hill. A fond farewell. of the road And Christy Moore singing John's dreams Can be a lullaby
2: Folks, if you are enjoying what we're putting out on the podcast, Celtic Fanzine TV channel, across the website and in the Fanzine, you can support us if you can afford it. But if you can't, don't worry. All our content will remain free, apart from the print edition of the Fanzine. You can visit the website, CelticFanzine.com, where you can become a member, subscribe to the Fanzine, buy a single copy of the Fanzine, buy a back issue, if you like reading back issues, or you can also buy some merch or one of our T-shirts. And if you love the podcast, you can donate for the price of a point or for the price of a coffee, and we'll see you soon. We'll be back on Friday with the second part of the Celtic Soul podcast when our guest will be, again, the one and only Paul Heaton.